on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. It's just after 8 o'clock. I'm Spencer Ostrowski, and this is Out of Line. I'm filling in for Brian, who is on vacation at the moment. Uh, so we're here. Uh, this is the uh, We're on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming down, or we're coming to you from Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar, which is just down the road from Cashman Center and the Neon Boneyard. The address is 931 North Las Vegas Boulevard. Kickers has been and will continue to be our home until further notice because due to COVID-19 protocols, all live shows have been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. So if you're up in mobile, come on down and join us. Kickers is offering mimosa and Bloody Mary specials during the show. Joining me on the show is Chris Wynn, a guy who has had his name imprinted on radio across the entire great city of Las Vegas. Also part of the show and social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. After a long absence from the show, producer and member of the Vegas Golden Knights radio broadcast team, Chris Magnum Chapman. And uh, we will actually have him on in just a bit to go over the night, to go over nightcap in the rocky start to another series for the Golden Knights after looking to take a commanding lead in the beginning against the Canadians and then things haven't gone so well since. The show, well, it would be streaming. Normally we'll be streaming from the Facebook page that's out of line. You just look that up. Adeline Las Vegas, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Adeline Fox LV. Some technical issues today, so that's not possible. So you're hearing us only through the radio, which is an exclusive show. Everybody listening should feel very special. And if you guys want to call in, the studio line is 702-876-1340. And it, it, Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, What's on Tap, uh, brought to you by our title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Uh, whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights find themselves down 1-2 in their series against the Canadians after a dominant first game in T-Mobile, like I just mentioned. The Nets superstar team is now out of the playoffs, even after a massive 48 performance by Kevin Durant, which is a record in Game 7. The 76ers will try to advance to the Eastern Conference semifinals tonight, and the Suns will start their series with that the guy who will help transform their franchise. And if we have time at the end, we will talk about the Raiders who go down their schedule and just see what's going on. I think their win total now is set at 7.5, or maybe it's 8.5. I'll have to take a look. But that's what's on tap. If you're looking to buy a home or refinance the home you currently own, Choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighborhood and uh, at a time. And right now, Residential Bank Corp. is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing program. Call 702-864-5720 for details. And, uh, yeah, first thing I'll say here, I am with Chris Wynn. We are at Kicker Sports and Gaming Bar sitting behind a beautiful uh, kind of art piece that you can't see, but normally you will be able to. But, uh, yeah, just take a second uh, tell us if, like, if you were able to find the place easy and what you kind of think of now that you're in here with all these TVs around, and I'll tell you some more about the specials afterwards. Well, of course, uh, you know, coming in, the first thing I noticed is uh, a lot of the green and, gold, green and gold floating around here, obviously a Green Bay Packer bar, myself, and uh, Brian Feldman, Detroit guys. So that was a little bit uh, taken aback, but tremendous little set up here they have uh, all kinds of gaming uh, obviously uh you're, you're across the board when it comes to uh both food and drink specials it's a good little spot here right just north of downtown basically in the shadow of the old catchman field of course where the 51s and the las vegas stars used to play so pretty cool setup down here and uh getting set right whiz for a uh busy day on the sports docket to say the least as you've got game four obviously the stanley cup playoffs with vegas up in montreal You've got all the, you know, the basketball action, also the U.S. Open final round action going on as well, too. And, uh, as well, and you're also going to have uh, uh, a bunch, a bunch of, uh, of uh, soccer action going on across the pond as well, too. So no shortage of topics to talk about, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, I'll finish off with a little talk about kickers and say that they give out free shots every time the Golden Knights score. They haven't been doing that too much recently, but anytime you can get a free shot, I would say why not. 
Uh, so come on down to Kickers. And uh, hopefully uh, we can go right into Nightcap. We can bring on producer Chris Magnum Chapman to talk about some Golden Knights action. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, the puck does start here, and I'm actually hoping to bring on Chris. He came back last week, but we weren't able to talk to him. I'm hoping he's here in the studio now, able to uh, hear us. Good. Yeah, I hope you guys can hear me okay. I can hear yeah. you guys fine. Yeah. How have you been? I mean, it's been so long. And I know. Also, when I was thinking on the way over here, how strange it must be for you to hear me host the show after seeing me come in as a timid little kid like, <laughs> over a year ago. And here I am now uh, helping Brian out when he's on vacation. Yeah, well, well I, I feel like congratulations are in order your way as well because I've heard you uh, during Straight Out of Vegas with R.J. Bell during the week. Of course, that leads into our show the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, which, of course, you can catch right here on this station every Monday through Friday from 4 to 6. But big congratulations to you, man. Yeah, thank you. I hope you're doing well. And I got a lot of questions for you because I know you know the Golden Knights like the back of your hand. So they had a great, you know, first game. I mean, they looked unstoppable at some points. But uh, after game one, it kind of fell apart. The Canadians played really rough, I would say, in that first performance. And, uh there's so many offsides, more than I had ever seen in my life. So what happened from game one that changed so drastically afterwards? Well, I, I, I think part of it is, if you remember game one, Montreal had a really good start to that game, and Marc-Andre Fleury really kept the, the, the Golden Knights, you know, level uh, in that first period. Um, it was a, it was a really hot start for Montreal, first 10 minutes. I, I think after that, the Golden Knights kind of got their legs and, and were able to, to, to take control of that game. But Montreal's made adjustments. Um, if you watch them, they don't really allow too many. I mean, they, they gave up on uh, Friday night. They gave up, what, 45 shots, including in overtime. But if you look at those shots, a lot of them are coming from the outside. Uh, it's it's The blueprint is there. I think we, we've seen it in years past. Uh, if you can force the Golden – the Golden Knights are going to get their shots. But if you can force them to take shots from the outside, not get in the middle of the ice – not not have high danger scoring opportunities. They're they're very beatable, and I, I I mean we saw that the last two games. Look, Montreal came in here game two. They were focused. The, they they knew what they needed to do. They got out to the hot start, three nothing lead. That's not something you can have happen against Montreal. They play really good with the lead. They've got a lot of really good players. The additions of and and here's the other thing, from game one to game two. Montreal got back two defenders. Jeff Petrie, who, who's a fantastic player, has been a fantastic player for the Canadians for, for, for quite a while. They got him back, and then they also got former Golden Knight John Merrill back, who they traded for at the trade deadline from the Detroit Red Wings, a guy who's been pretty good since going to Montreal at the deadline. So they, they got two pretty solid defensemen back between game one and two. They're they're tough. I I said the Golden Knights would win in six. It may take seven. I still feel confident that the Golden Knights are going to win this series. But in order to do that, they need to win tonight. In order to do that, they need a better start than they've had the last two nights. Mag, one of the issues certainly is going to be the coaching situation, right? Kind of bizarre how this all shakes out with the Montreal Canadiens, obviously, with Ducharme testing positive for COVID-19. Now you've got basically uh, Luke Richardson in that top spot there as their head coach. And a number of the Canadians players have said that, uh, you know, this is something that is a factor. It's something that is affecting their team. How much do you think that comes into play? And do you think that it's something that could absolutely determine the series? Well, it's not going to factor into what they do. You know, they, they, they've been playing in that system since Ducharme took over for Claude Julien. Uh, he, of course, he's got the interim coach label, uh, not officially their head coach, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing is, where it will come into play, and Golden Knight fans will probably remember from when uh, Pete DeBoer and his staff had to miss a couple games, um, where, where it comes into play is the line changes, right? Like like the, the, the on-the-ice calls during the, the heat of the game, right? Sending out the right pairings at the right time, sending out the, the right lines at the right time, maybe making decisions in-game whether or not you want to challenge a, a goal that you feel maybe there's an offside. Uh, you know, those are the little things that, that I think people overlook 
when it comes to X's and O's, and I, I know we don't really say X's and O's in hockey, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple. When it mm-hmm. comes to X's and O's, I don't really foresee it having too much of, of a difference, just like it did when the Golden Knights had had no Pete DeBoer in that game against St. Louis and Kelly McCrimmon and Manny Viveros and some of his guys from the Henderson Silver Knights were, were involved in that, that game. So I don't really foresee that being a factor, but I also look at the other side of this. It could be a rallying cry for, for the Montreal Canadiens too, right? Like they played a pretty good game on Friday night and they were opportunistic, capitalizing on mistakes by the Golden Knights, and that's what they do. They're so good at, at, at opportunistic plays. They had a, a, the, the um, Suzuki to Caulfield goal that tied the game at one right after the Golden Knights had taken a lead on a mistake by by the Canadians, right? So they they're relentless in the, in what they do. They're 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 really a good team. And, and the funny thing is, I think a lot of people kind of slept on them because that Canadian division was was not very good supposedly. Maybe that Canadian division was a little bit better than we thought. Yeah. So, oh, oh, so so is. Hey, let's address the uh, rainbow elephant in the room, obviously, and that's the gap, of course. You know, Mark Andre Fleury. You know, just a matter of seconds left, and the Golden Knights were going to absolutely solidify a two-one lead in this series. Of course, you know, a major major problem there. Obviously, Anderson scores the the tying goal late in regulation, and then gets the winner in overtime. And Mark Stone addressed it after the game, right? Mags, Mark Stone talked about, look, they like the way they play in game three, but, you know, you've got a lot of defensemen scoring goals in this series, right? And you need to have the forwards lighting the lamp. I think if, you're, if you expect to have success, you're the Golden Knights. Is there some concern with this VGK team that you're not getting, you know, a lot of goal scoring from, from the forwards? The guys that are supposed to be, you know, scoring goals aren't necessarily doing it at a high rate for Vegas right now, Max. Yeah, I... Listen, there, there's a lot to break down there. I don't like the way they played the other night. I know people say, oh, well, they were in the game in overtime. They had 45 shots. Look, the reality of the situation is you got Alex Petrangelo, who's basically carrying this team right now. The the, the, the top six, and, and that's, I'll include Alex Tuck in that, they're invisible. They're, they need to find ways to put the puck in the net, and we've been here before with this team. If you look back to, to the Vancouver series last year, they were up three games to one. Then all of a sudden, the well dried up. I think that was a combination of Thatcher Demko playing ridiculous hockey and the Golden Knights not capitalizing on opportunities. Then you look at the Dallas series, Anton Kudovin, right? Not exactly a household name, not a guy who's going to win a Vezina trophy. He shuts these guys down. Now you're playing against a guy who could win. He's not going to this year. He, he's certainly in that category of elite goaltenders, not like Thatcher Demko, not like Anton Kudobin. This is a guy who will shut you down if you don't take better shots. Your, your power play is a power, well, it's a buzzkill right now because it sucks any momentum you have away from you. They're not even getting good looks on the power play. And, and the top six, like I said, they, they, they're being carried right now by Alex Petrangelo. He's the only guy who's scoring in this series. You've got Nick Waugh, who had the goal the other night, and Matthias Janmark. Your two goals from forwards have come from your third line, and one of them was gift-wrapped. The top six, that includes, like I said, Alex Tuck, Jonathan Marchessault, William Carlson, Riley Smith, and, of course, uh, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Those guys need to show up. I don't care about how many shots they have on net. That's not we're we're not here for participation participation trophies at this point in the season. I don't care about how many shots. I don't care how good the looks are. You need to put them in the net. And if you don't put them in the net, your season is going to end very soon and it's going to end in disappointment. Yeah, no doubt. And uh... We kind of alluded to it in a little bit in the beginning of that last question, and Mark Stone saying he liked the way that they played. Well, I don't like the way that Mark Stone is playing, so I feel like maybe he should quint to himself just a little bit. What are you seeing out of the captain who gave the Golden Knights all the momentum going into this series, and now all of a sudden he's gone? Just suppose that to Kucherov, who's coming back off of an injury in the other series. He has scored in every single game. Maybe it's his teammates are letting him down, but I think Mark Stone should have that same mentality of, I got to get mine, and it's everybody else. Not that that's the greatest team mentality, but 
the best players on the best teams have to do something like that in the playoffs, in my opinion. Well, it seems like maybe he, he's, you know, there's an old cliche in hockey. Chris, you've been around hockey a really long time, obviously being a Detroit guy, over yes. overthinking things. And it <laughs> seems like maybe, you know, the, the, what's the cliche? Uh, keep it simple, right? I don't think that these guys are keeping it simple. It seems like they're, they're, they're trying too hard. I don't see, especially on that power play, the power play has to be better. Carey Price has been phenomenal in these playoffs on the power play. I think he's, his save percentage is some ungodly number on the power play. The Golden Knights need to find a way to get that going. That starts with Mark Stone. That starts with your captain. That starts with Max Pacioretty, the guy who was a captain on the team you're playing. I, from, from what I hear, Montreal fans have been absolutely brutal towards Max Pacioretty with, with the amount of, of heckling and trash talk. Montreal radio has been blowing up with how he's an underachiever. I don't know if Max hears that, but you got to take that personally. You got to want to go out and show these guys, you know what? You quit on me. You traded me away. I need to be better in this series. Mark Stone, I, I look, you're the captain. You were the C. And I will not knock Mark Stone because the Golden Knights are not where they're at without Mark Stone, just like they're not where they're at without Marc-Andre Fleury. I understand, you know, a lot of people gave Fleury crap about the, the gaffe, right? I mean, he made that mistake. Look, you can't change it. But the reality of the situation is we can go back to the fact that with the amount of shots this team had on net, with the amount of power play opportunities, that 60-minute game should not have come down to Marc-Andre Fleury misplaying a puck behind his net. So you look ahead, Mags, obviously tonight you've got game four going down. There's no question, right, guys? You're going to have to see guys in the box score by the name of Alex Tuck. You're going to need to see Carlson. You're going to need to see Pacioretty. You're going to need to see Mark Stone. These guys are going to be the, have to be the guys that light the lamp. They're going to have to be the guys that, that spark this offense moving forward for them to have success in the series. There's no doubt about it, right, Mags? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality of the situation is, look, if this team doesn't get production from that top six you know, group of skaters, they're not going to win this series. Montreal is getting scoring from a multitude of places. Cole Caulfield right now, I mean, he's, what, 19 years old? He's been the best player, I think, in the series. I mean, I think you could make that argument. Certainly, he's, he's, he's in the discussion. You can't be shown up by a, a kid who played 10 regular season games before getting to the playoffs. The Golden Knights are a seasoned group. They've been here before. They have to have that 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 fire from the disappointment of the San Jose series two years ago where, where they were essentially stolen. Their opportunity to win the Stanley Cup was stolen away from them. Last year you 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 get to this point and you lose to a team that on paper you're much better than. You cannot allow that to happen again. And and these guys have to take this personally. That top six group, they've got to find ways. And in in years past, it's been Jonathan Marcheseau who has been that guy who said, you know what, screw this. I'm putting the team on my back, and I'm going to carry them. Remember, we saw that in, in the Colorado series. Was it game four where Marcheseau had the hat trick? Right, You right. come off that big emotional win in game three where you're trailing late in the third period. You get the two goals, Marcheseau being one of those guys. I think he's going to have a big game tonight. I think he's going to be the guy that ignites a spark. And like I said at the beginning of this, I said the Golden Knights were going to win in six. I still think they're going to win the series. It may not be in six games, but they're the better team. And I feel like they'll find a way to get this done. And 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 I'm a guy who's been glass half full or glass half empty on them from the start of the playoffs. I didn't think they would beat the Wild. I didn't like that matchup. They proved me wrong. Served me my hot play to Crow. I think they're going to win this series. Well, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that they should, and I think they're the better team. Last question for you, Magnum, and thanks for your time. for yeah, talking of course, about the guys. Night here. Uh, what is the score prediction for tonight? Maybe for betters out there who think an expert like you, what do you think is going to end up shaping out on the ice? You know what? I, 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 I don't bet the NHL, but I, I will. I, so I don't even know what the total is, but I think the Golden Knights are going to win. I think they're going to get a couple of goals early on. I think Montreal is going to be chasing the entire game, which is going to leave them prone to make mistakes. And I feel like the Golden Knights could really take advantage of that. The power play is going to get one tonight because there's been so much talk about how awful 
their power play has been. They're going to get a goal tonight. I think the Golden Knights probably win this one. I'm going to say 4-2. to two. Awesome. All right, 4-2 to two for the Golden Knights. And uh, if you can, Magnum, we would like to go into fact this. Uh, one of our <laughs> more notable. notable uh, sorry, I didn't mean to spring that on you. this. <laughs> if you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. I sprung that on Magnum a little too fast. But no, the real fact is that Kevin Durant scored 48 points in Game 7, which is a record in Game 7, but it was all for naught. And over time, the Nets fell 115-111. This is a huge revelation in basketball, considering you gave you made a super team, right? And we saw this a little bit with the Miami Heat. They, or when then LeBron James is there, they made it to the finals. They lose to the Mavericks. This feels a little different, so I'll ask you, Chris. Um, man, this this is nuts. I mean, did you ever expect them not to win the finals after that team was formed this year, considering everything that had happened around the team? Well, obviously, when you load up with a, with a lot of talent like they did, the expectations are going to be high. But as we've seen, by the way, throughout this entire NBA playoffs, the injury bug has made a huge has had a huge impact on you know these series across the board. And no, and no, nothing's different when it comes to this Bucks net series as well, too. And look, you know, you got a monster game out of Kevin Durant in Game Six, and they needed it. The Nets needed him to drop a 49 spot to win that game and to force a Game Seven. And then, uh, you know, look, it was just, you know, it's, it's just a situation where uh, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are that that super, you know, that super team when you don't have all your pieces in there. They're just not. It's, it's not. A, it's not a cohesive unit when you have when you don't have all those pieces and that and you saw the end result right you saw a team in the Milwaukee Bucks that was resilient you know this is obviously they got you know a superstar of their own when you're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo so uh, it was you know it ended up once the injuries you know took 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 their uh, hold in this series it kind of evened things out a little bit and it definitely gave the Bucks uh, a little bit more uh, of an advantage here. And that's exactly the way it played out. And that was a little bit surprising, though. i got to be honest with you, Wiz, to see uh, how that all shook out yesterday. Because, you know, it looked like the Nets, you know, look, the Nets, it's not like they were up, you know, 20, 25 points. It was a, it was kind of a nip and tuck game throughout most of the basketball game. But, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> it came down in a matter of, uh, it came down to a matter of inches. And, and we, we all saw the end result. And the, uh, the Bucks were able to prevail. Yeah, can we yeah. talk about how awful the officiating was in that game, by the way? Because I feel like the the, the, the foul that disqualified P.J. Tucker was mm-hmm. atrocious. They let the right. Nets get away with a ton in that game. And, and and this is coming from a guy who was a New Jersey Nets fan his entire life. Now yeah. I'm not so much on, on the bandwagon, right? I mean, they, they left my state. But, I mean, now as a guy who just watches the games without any real rooting interest, that that was terrible. And... What what let the Nets down? Their supporting cast was terrible, right? Like like how bad was Joe Harris in that game, right? Like he he missed multiple open shots. He missed a huge wide open three in overtime. Kevin Durant, so in in my opinion, I know a lot of people hate him. They don't like him. I mean that's that's neither here nor there. He solidified himself as one of the top players maybe in the history of the NBA with that, especially with that performance last night. I mean, he was phenomenal in these last two games and maybe with a better supporting cast, they probably win that game. Funny as I was listening to our friend, Daniel McCartan last night over on the fan in New York. And you bring up Joe Harris. Joe Harris was the number one target on sports radio in New York. After that game last night, it was, it was, uh, it, it was just more evidence of uh, how tough that market could be in smart sports radio is uh you know look he, he just got he just got hammered because of uh, his performance in that game seven. Well, he should have. He he was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the reality is Kevin Durant carried that 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 team through the playoffs. James Harden, of course, he was not himself. Kyrie Irving banged up. Uh, you go out, and you get Blake Griffin. He fouls out. He had himself a pretty decent game, but he fouls out. I feel like Milwaukee tried everything they could late in that game to give it away. And the Nets just couldn't take it. I mean, that overtime, Milwaukee didn't score until there was, what, a minute and 20 to go in, in overtime? I mean, not like the Nets were much better, but there it, it seemed to me like Giannis was a little tentative 
early on in that overtime, almost like, all right, we lost in this round last year. Maybe that was in his head, and he was, he was kind of allowing other guys to take shots. But the performance of the night, I feel, was like Drew Holiday. That guy had a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, game seven, and, and maybe Milwaukee doesn't win that series without Drew Holiday. No, they certainly don't. And I do want to go back to the Brooklyn Nets because there's so many thoughts I have on Milwaukee who everyone said they were done, including me. I didn't think they'd be able to do it. But I want to talk about Steve Nash in his first year at the team. I mean, looking at it retrospectively, this guy inherits Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, a really nice core of guys. I mean, you have the team that brought them to the playoffs, and then Kevin Durant was going to be added on top of that. And then everybody gets traded, and he has to work with what he's got. The only thing that I think maybe his biggest mistake, and it may not seem like a mistake on the onset, but Kevin Durant was so gassed in the overtime last night, and that goes back to that last performance he had in Game 6 where he played every single minute, and then once again he played 53. They went three guys deep into their bench in Game 7, which you may expect, but it didn't feel like the right decision, especially now. The three bench guys combined did not have half of the minutes of Blake Griffin who fouled out of the game I'm gonna. I'll ask you. Do you think in you know that was a mistake, or is it just something like, hey, you got to do what you got to do. You got to play your starters the most of your minutes, or is there a little bit of minute management somewhere in there? Well, guys, I think it would be. Look, I think it's, it could have it could have been a mistake, right, Wiz? But at the same time, you know, overall, when you when you take you, know, you encapsulate this entire series, Steve Nash is not the guy that's getting the blame. You know what I mean? They're they're not. You know, they're, I mean, I, again, I was listening to New York Sports Radio last night, and it's not as if this is some pile on on Steve Nash. Now, look, he's inexperienced, right? I mean, he doesn't have a ton of head coaching experience. Obviously, we all know that being in his first season. But, Mags, I, mean, I don't know if you agree with me. I would, not, I would not think that when it's all said and done and, you know, they analyze not only this, this 2021 season but this, this last series they played it against Milwaukee, it's not going to be, oh, Steve Nash was just horrible as a coach and uh, he was the reason why we lost. No, I, I don't think so. And, and let's remember, Steve Nash was handpicked by the players to be their coach, right? He was the guy that they wanted. So I don't feel like the, the, the Nets are going to run him out of town. I mean, look, Steve Nash may decide he doesn't want to coach. Who knows, right? But, I mean, you can't blame Steve Nash for what happened. The, the, the reality is if New Jersey – New Jersey, listen to me, they've been Brooklyn for, for a decade. If if the Nets are fully healthy and Kyrie Irving is, is there and James Harden doesn't have the injury issue – I don't think this is a series. I think New Jersey, I said it again, I think Brooklyn goes right through them. But sometimes you, you have to play with the cards you're dealt. And and Chris, I know you're a big-time gambler, caveman Kino, legend Chris Wynn. Sometimes you just got to play with what you're dealt. And and the Nets didn't, didn't they, they, they did what they could with what they had. At the end of the day, it wasn't good enough. I don't feel like that's Steve Nash's fault. And hey, let's give credit to Milwaukee. They were down three games to two. They had just lost a pivotal game five. They did what they needed to do. They went home. They they, they held serve on their home floor, and they went back to Brooklyn, and they won a game seven in, in a situation that probably wasn't ideal for them either. So what fascinates me right now about the NBA is you look at the West, and you've got two teams that have never won an NBA title. You look at the East – and you've got Milwaukee, who haven't won a title since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Lou Alcindor, I believe, playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. What was that, 1970? 1970s, early 1970s. And then you have the Sixers, who haven't won since the early 80s, and the Hawks, who've never won. You have, I'm not going to say a, 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 a group of teams that, that have been irrelevant because, look, the Suns were really good when Charles Barkley and Dan Marley was there, but they'd fallen on some hard times. The Clippers were a disgrace when uh, uh, Don, what's his name? I'm, I'm blanking on the owner's name, former owner's name. The the, the guy who got, well, he, he basically got run out of town for, for racial comments, uh, but... Uh, Don Sterling, Don, Donald Sterling. Oh, Sterling, no, Bonnie yeah, so, also so, got in trouble, I think, for something racial too. So, so you you have a, two franchises there who who really have essentially not a lot of history, and then on the East, people are the only team that really has history. They're seventy sixers because, of course, they've had some of the all time great players, Doctor J, Allen Iverson, uh, but Milwaukee. There's no reason why they can't win the title. No, no doubt. And, I mean, uh, look, they they were three and zero against the Sixers, and they were two and one against the Hawks in the regular season. They were the only team to beat Philadelphia three times. 
Yes, no doubt. Um, so I want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, and I specifically want to talk about Giannis because the narrative after, let's say, game five was he comes out and says Kevin Durant's the best player in the world, like something that you just never hear out of star players. Maybe you don't go out and say that I'm better than them, but you certainly don't admit that you're, you know, second fiddle to anybody. I mean, you shouldn't be. That shouldn't be your mentality. But the more I thought about it and the, and the more I think about it now, is like that's a very American thing for us to say, especially in American media, where the American attitude is that you have to be so cocky that you think you're the greatest of all time. But I also do think there is something to that in that it does motivate you to become better. Or it does give you the ideology to be the best. How do you... Win, Chris Wynn, evaluate Giannis and what he's done. I mean, he's been amazing, but he has all these flaws. A very strange player to evaluate from a psychiatric kind of way and also just like the way he plays the game. Well, look, I think about this. There's no question there's talent off the charts when you think about him, right? The Greek freak. There's, you know, he's got all kinds of abilities. And, but this is the NBA, okay? So you're talking about the, the, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And you're going Obviously, a lot of these guys are competitive. Look, you bring up you know his his viewpoint as far as being able to say other players are great. That's I think that's a product kind of of this today's generation of athlete, right? They're just more, uh, you know, it, it, it's just more kind of a friendly atmosphere in the NBA. In my personal opinion, it's not like it was back in the eighties, you know, seventies, eighties, and nineties, where you know guys were willing to cut each other's throats, right? And you would never hear another superstar out going out in the media and calling somebody else the greatest player or, you know, or in any way give them any kind of love in the media. Yeah, but do you, do you think that that's maybe a little bit of, of gamesmanship on the part of Giannis saying, hey, you no know doubt. what? Let, let no me, doubt. let me, because we, we know Kevin, right? The guy with the burner accounts who was talking about how great Kevin Durant was. We know Kevin Durant loves Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And he hears that from, from, an MVP, and maybe his head gets a little bigger, right? But I don't think it played a factor because Kevin Durant was was awesome. I will question the final shot that Kevin Durant took last night. I don't think there was a reason for him to try to take a three. Look, you only needed a two. You had plenty of time to go when you when you took that shot. But nonetheless, I think there was a little gamesmanship there on Giannis. And uh, it, it look, Milwaukee's advanced, then the Nets didn't. So it obviously worked. So I want to bounce this off of both you, Mags, and Wiz. Obviously, we have a Game 7 coming up tonight as well, too, as uh, the Hawks taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. As, uh, you know, look, this is a situation where uh, you've got a young team, a young a guy that's an emerging. I don't even know if he's a superstar yet, but he's, it seems like he's on that track, right, guys? With Trey Young, this is a guy who's just averaging a ton of points. Obviously, he is their figurehead down there in the dirty south down in Atlanta. But uh, you've got the Philadelphia 76ers. You look at this series with Philly guys, you've got a situation where, look, everybody wants to talk about Joel Embiid, everyone wants to talk about Ben Simmons and his fit there and those two guys playing together. Seth Curry, the other Curry brother, okay, is averaging solid points in this series. He's knocking down threes left and right. The, the coach's son-in-law, Seth Curry, has become a major factor in the series, right, guys? I don't think anything. I don't think that's going to change as we jump into Game Seven right here. Yeah, and it's it's. I, I think it's great you mentioned Trey Young because I mean he's he's really come out of. I don't want to say he's come out of nowhere because obviously he was a high draft pick, but he's really come into his own, especially in these playoffs. I don't think a lot of average NBA fans are really following, and the Hawks are what the fifth seed. I thought they were lose to the Knicks, like. I, I kind of felt like, look, New York had taken a, a big step forward and and they would eliminate the Hawks. He was so good in that series, and he became a guy who was not very well liked among Nick fans now. that He's now public enemy number one for New York Nick fans. Is he going to do the same to Philadelphia? I feel like I kind of watch the Sixers a little bit, and there's something about them that makes me think that they're soft. And I feel like the Hawks... They're playing with house money. They've got nothing to lose. I think they go for the jugular. I mean, the Sixers, I, what did they blow, a 26-point lead the other night? There's yeah, this, they had a 99.7% chance to yeah, uh, they, win that. It was, they, I think it was the same exact win percentage as the Falcons did in their Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I ended so. up betting the Patriots in-game in that Super Bowl. I wish I would have <laughs> done the same with the Hawks. But maybe soft wasn't the right word to use for the Sixers. Maybe mentally they're not all there when it comes to having to close out games because that's got to play in the back of your mind. 
Trey Young is an assassin. He's a cold-blooded killer. I think he kills the 76ers tonight. I think he goes off. I think they advance. And and I say that as a guy who who kind of follows or watches the Sixers a bit. I just there's just something about Philadelphia that I don't like, and it, it hurts me to say it. Yeah, I, I wanted to do a retrospective. Actually, I have in my notes here of the Trey Young. I mean, I, obviously he's been so electric, but I mean now that the dust has settled, that trade, that historic trade that will go down forever, Trey Young for Luka Doncic, where in the beginning it seemed like. Trey Young was irresponsible with the ball. He kind of shoot it up all, all the time. You know, he was able to make a few deep threes, but his shot selection certainly wasn't amazing. It still isn't today, I would say. But at the end of the day, like the way he's led Atlanta, I don't know what Luka would be on that team. I mean, he'd probably still be amazing. But if you look at what's happening in Dallas and the way that how demanding he is versus uh, Trey Young, who's really rolling with the punches. I mean, he had a uh, Lloyd Pierce, who a coach for a while, who wasn't getting it done for him, but he stayed patient. Never once did he say he wanted this, that, or this. Or that You could hear that there was a little bit of discomfort in the organization because they weren't successful so immediately. So it almost feels like Atlanta maybe not got the great end of the deal, but certainly I would say it's not an embarrassing move for them at the end of the day. Yeah, and their, and their general manager, Travis Schelk, he, he deserves a lot of credit. Look, look at some of the guys that he's brought in. Danilo Gallinari, he brought in Bogdanovich. Uh, you know, so so he's done a pretty good job building that team. He was also a guy who who was with Golden State, and he's credited with with being the guy who who drafted Trey or uh, Draymond Green, right? Like he was the guy who recognized there was a lot of talent there, and and he was the guy who who really urged them to draft Green. So, um, you know that that guy deserves a ton of credit. But that trade, it's funny because we talked about it in hockey with the Golden Knights and the Canadians, that sometimes trades work out for both teams. This is a trade that I feel like is going to work out for both teams. Of course, now Dallas looking for a coach, Rick Carlisle, out of there after after it seemed like an eternity. Guy won the NBA title with the Mavs. Uh, Luka and Dirk Nowitzki apparently are going to be the guys who kind of decide on who the next head coach is in, in Dallas. Uh, but But, you know, I mean, look, Atlanta's a team that's kind of kind of come out of nowhere, and and I feel like their general manager he deserves a lot of credit for that. Wiz, I'm picking up with Mags is putting down. I do like the Hawks in this matchup tonight. Look, it's sitting right now. The Sixers are favored minus six and a half, but uh, and it is a game seven in Philly, so it's going to be kind of a raucous crowd there. You know, down there, you know, south of Jersey. So I, look, but this Hawks team and Mags brought up you know some of the pieces. You got Bagdanovich, you can go out there, he can fill it up a little bit. Obviously, Gallinari is a guy that can score as well, too. You got Clint Capella just cleaning up the glass. This is, I believe, like the fifth, they're the fifth best rebounding team in the NBA with this Atlanta Hawks team. And then, of course, he mentioned Trey Young and what he's been able to do as well, too. So, almost, almost a maturity, right, to, to Trey Young's game because Wiz talked about, uh, you know, some of the early, the early problems that he, that, uh, he had with Trey Young's game. I think this is absolutely a spot well, look, where the Hawks can go in there and get a W. And this was a team that, that had all the chips stacked against them, right? They stunk to start the season. They fired their coach. They're bringing Nate McMillan. He's done a tremendous job. Uh, I mean, he took over late, right? Like, he took over, what was it, the, the, the sometime in March where they where they brought in Nate McMillan? March, right? Yeah, so, so I mean, this is a team that, that, that has really turned it around because they were they were under five hundred. They weren't going to make the playoffs. They get as high as the fifth seed. I don't feel like they have anything to lose. They're playing fearless. No, and that's what you want to see. And I do think we have to talk about the 76ers side. Tobias Harris, you can say, started out great in this year's playoffs and has really fallen off. Very strange, although I guess you could say, what are their real expectations for him? But we do have to talk about Ben Simmons and basically the stark difference between him and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I believe, because... Even early in Game 7, Giannis was not hitting his free throws, right? But he stayed aggressive, and he didn't shy away. And I think it gave him a lot of confidence because later in that game, he was really consistent hitting his free throws. He shot over 50%. Anytime I think you can get Giannis to shoot 70% from the free throw line, it's pretty scary. I mean, how many times he can get there, essentially whenever he wants for the most part. And then you compare that to Ben Simmons, who I don't believe has attempted a field goal in the fourth quarter. Uh, at least in games four and five, I know he he did zero. I don't know what it was in game six. And he shot like two of 14 from the free throw line. Doc Rivers vehemently defends him 
in postgame, as I guess he should. But I can't imagine his leash is going to be, uh, you know, that loose forever. The front office has to be getting a little uneasy. And it's not like he's unaffecting the game, like, from every facet in that he's still a great defender, he's still a good rebounder, he's still a good passer, and he's still very effective in the open court. But as I watch this guy, I mean, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Basically, the attitude to not be better, it feels like that's what he's kind of taking on. Well, remember, with the 76ers, we heard for how many years, trust the process, trust the process. That's going to be looked at, looked back at as a disaster if this team does not get over the hump. I mean, I know it's a different general manager, uh, you know, who's running the show now. But you look at that 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 whole run that they were on, the trust the process run. Look, they had multiple picks in the top five, and they missed on a bunch. Jalil Okafor, garbage, garbage pick. Markel Fultz, garbage pick. Mikael Bridges, not a very good pick. They ended up trading him, right? But you look at the trust the process. Michael Carter-Williams, another guy, not a top 10 pick, but just a, not a very good draft pick. They tanked on purpose to try to get good, and they're a mid-level Eastern Conference team. And if they lose this series to the Hawks, you have to look at that trust the process as a disaster. Because I think at this point, if that doesn't, if this doesn't work, and you don't get to the NBA Finals, you have to somehow blow it all up. Because whatever you did didn't work. They got two good players out of that tanking for, what, four or five years in a row in Joel Embiid and and Ben Simmons. And I think Ben Simmons, the jury's still out on whether or not he ever should have been a number one overall pick. That's a big question, right, Mags? Is is this guy really superstar? I think he could be a very good player in the NBA, but I, I, I put a massive halt on all this talk about Ben Simmons being a superstar. Look, on Friday night, right? Uh, and, and Wiz brought up, you know, what he did in game six. The guy was not productive on Friday night. You cannot have Simmons being outproduced by guys like Cormaz, uh, you know, Cork Maz, and Frank, you know, and, and look, Max is a good young player, and he ended up with 16 in that game. But you, those two guys absolutely just outperformed Simmons. You can't have that if you're a guy that's supposed to be the caliber of Ben Simmons. I mean, and, and Wiz just talked, look, I, I don't even want to put, you know, Ben Simmons and, and Giannis in the same conversation. You know what I mean? That, at, at this point right now, uh, as, as you pointed out, Mags, the jury is absolutely still out on this guy. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he's a guy, his career numbers, he, he's, he's averaging, what, 15 points a game or whatever for his career numbers? Yeah, that's pretty good. You get a bunch of rebounds, and, and, and he's a guy who could be a triple-double machine a la Russ Westbrook, but he just doesn't seem to have it. He, he's got injury questions to me that have been with him since the year he was drafted. Uh, you know, I mean... The, the one to me that, that they really missed on was Markel Fultz. He never should have been the number one overall pick. Granted, that was a draft where you're like, well, what are you going to do? Uh, I still think they, they probably made the mistake of not taking Tatum, even though you probably really didn't have a spot for him. I think you, you take the best guy available, and Tatum has proven that he's the best player in that draft. But then you trade Fultz away. You really don't get anything in return. And he goes to Orlando, and he turns out to be a solid player. So... You know, the, the, the whole trust the process thing to me was just an ultimate disaster. And if they don't win and they don't get to the finals, y- y- you really have to question. And a lot of teams, I think, in the future will question whether or not that was the right step to take because it clearly did not work for the 76ers. Imagine if they hit on those picks. We're talking about a potential dynasty. Instead, they may be going home in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the nature of the NBA as well. I mean, you really don't know. One more series to talk about, and I believe it starts today. Uh, here we go. It is the Clippers in Phoenix, and the Clippers, the first time ever in their franchise history, making it to the conference finals, which is insane. Uh, but we're going to see two players out, two guys you probably didn't expect to see out at this point in the season, and that's Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard. Chris Paul, obviously, is going to miss game one due to safety uh, protocols. He tested positive. For COVID-19, somehow he's the only player in the NBA to do so. And then Kawhi's dealing with a ACL injury, something I've never heard of in my entire life. I'll ask both of you, 
what is more important, the Clippers without Kawhi or Chris Paul without the Suns? I think the Suns are going to miss Chris Paul more than the Clippers will miss Kawhi, right? Kawhi didn't play in, in, in this series. The, the, la, the very well, He didn't play in, what, game six and seven for, for, for the Clippers? Um, yeah, both yep. Or was it five and six? The game's five and six, right? Because they oh, won right. in six, right? Jazz were up two to nothing. Clippers won four straight. Um, Devin Booker, to me, is, is the guy who could be a difference maker in, in this series, especially without Chris Paul. But I feel like at this stage, you you take a Phoenix Suns team that's very, very young, right? And you put them in this situation. The pressure may get to them, but maybe it won't. Maybe, maybe they're going to play like the Hawks and like, hey, you know what? Nobody expected us to be here. We've overachieved all season. What's going to stop us now? The Clippers have won without Kawhi Leonard. Paul George, to me, is still a tremendous player. They have some depth. They have guys who who, who have played really well. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm blanking on the kid's name who had the game on Friday night. Terrence Mann had a big game. Yeah, like like where the hell did that kid come from? But I, I I think the Clippers. I think they're going to win this series because I feel like they've gotten over the hump. They've gotten past that 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 speed bump, and I think I, it sounds crazy, but I think they're going to win the NBA title, which is wild, right? Because you obviously when you have the you know the, the type of uh, impact that Kawhi Leonard has on this basketball team, you'd think you know they would have a chance, right? Yeah, that's but your real, initial reaction. Look, but and Paul George is a, is, a, is a really good defender anyway, too. What's what's the narrative right now? Right now, Mac. Right now, the narrative is. Can Paul George be the guy to spearhead the Clippers and get them to an NBA title? That is what's being talked about. Well, right think now. about his legacy. This is Paul George's opportunity to cement himself as a legend in the NBA. He's the guy, right? Grew up in Palmdale, Laker fan, 90 minutes away from, from Staples Center, Fresno State. Goes to the Pacers, has a really good career. Remember, breaks his leg in that in that Team USA exhibition game. Everyone's like, oh, Paul George, he's going to go to the Lakers. He's going to help LeBron win the title. LeBron's recruiting him. What happens? He spurns the Lakers, teams up with Kawhi Leonard, goes to the Clippers. This is Paul George's opportunity to cement himself as an NBA legend. I think he's going to step up. I, I, I mean, look, the Clippers have gotten to this point, a point they've never been to before. They expect to win the NBA title. When they sign these guys, they expected to win the NBA title. I, I really feel like this is their moment. This is their time because you have to take advantage. You can't expect the Lakers to be down like they were this year. Dealt with lots of injuries. You have an opportunity to say, hey, guess what, Lakers? This is a Clipper town, too. It will never be, but in their minds, it will be. Yeah, and the, and the narrative, I feel like, and you know, playoff, he, as he likes to call himself, does deserve a ton of credit. Definitely reminds me of those Pacers days when he led a very talented Roy Hibbert. Uh, the, I think something West was the power forward yeah, on that uh, team. And yeah, David West. He, yeah, David West, a few guys. But uh, here's the thing that I think that we've kind of skipped over, and you know, appropriately so, or I should say, I think this needs more attention. The Utah Jazz. I mean, you go up 2 nothing, 2 nothing in the series, and... If I, also, if I also told you after 2-0 lead, then they lose Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers do. There's no excuse. It's not like you can point to the Utah Jazz and say, oh, well, they didn't have this. So clearly, you know, there's a good reason why they shouldn't have won that series. I mean, they're coming off of another, like, disappointing run last year. And here we are again. Personally, it feels a lot like is on Donovan Mitchell. He had big games in the box scores, but, man, he shot a tremendous amount of times, and he did not shoot very well in those. He only shot... 42% in the regular season. I'm not sure what a shooting percentage was in the playoffs, but I feel like they just need more out of him. I don't know what that is, or maybe he just needs to relinquish what he feels the franchise like needs from him because how many shooters does that team have? Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, yeah. and Mike Conley you know, was coming back from injury at that point, but Jordan well, Clarkson that was, a, that was a was huge loss a for him, I think. I think the Mike Conley loss was, was big for, for the, the Jazz and Maybe if he's in there, it makes a difference, right? Because you have that all-star presence. But, uh, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, he was quoted as saying, because remember last year the Jazz blew a, a lead as well in the playoffs, and Donovan Mitchell quoted as saying, this one hurts even more than last year. Uh, 
what they were up pretty big too in one of those games and and the Clippers ended up making the run and coming back and winning the game. Look, like I said, I mean, this just seems like it's the moment for the Clippers. It seems like everything is lining up for them to to get there and I'll be honest, I would love to see the Hawks and the Clippers in the NBA final because you're taking two teams that have never won a title. I'm always cool to see a team win a championship for the first time. Guys, how many heads are going to explode in L.A. if the L.A. Clippers win the NBA title? Because I just, I don't know about both you guys, but anytime I think of the Clippers, I just think of guys like Keith Claw, you know, Maurice Taylor, <laughs> Corey McGetty. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, like <laughs> Michael Ola Candy. Like, oh, jeez, yeah. You just think of the Clippers, right? And it's just a woeful organization. Obviously, the change in ownership has made a difference now. And, you, you know, you're bringing in guys like Kawhi and Paul George. But you, I'm telling you, Mags, with, it, you know, people are going to just be not very happy in Lakerland. Well, if the Clippers end up hoisting the title. I, I could speak as, because I've got a little bit of experience with this. I'm mm-hmm. a Mets fan. And... I know that New York, at the end of the day, New York City is a National League town. Look, it goes back long before the Mets. You have the Dodgers and the Giants who were, you know, the, the, the toast of the town. Of course, with the Yankees, those two teams are long gone. The Mets come in. New York City is a National League city. At the end of the day, the Yankees are much, much more successful than the Mets. However, this will hurt Laker fans because you, they just assumed that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were going to be Lakers. And to burn the Lakers and say, nope, we're going to go play for the Clippers. And then they lead the Clippers to the NBA title. That stings. That hurts. That's going to hurt a lot more for Laker fans than it will for Yankee fans if the Mets win the World Series. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, no doubt. We're running out of time here a little bit. I just want to quickly say everyone give their series predictions for the Clippers Phoenix. I say Clippers in seven, uh, just as long as I think that game one will be pivotal. I think the Clippers will take it. I'm going to go with Clippers in six. I think that yeah, I think Paul George has the capabilities. He can do it. He can be the guy that takes him over the top and gets him to their first ever NBA Finals. Yeah, he 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 could be and should be the best player in this series. Um, look, I, I I think Devin Booker's a really good player. I just don't think the Suns are quite there yet. This is a team that took a giant step forward this year. But I'm also going to go with the Clippers. I think the Clippers win it in six as well. Awesome. That's all the time we've got. And I want to thank Kickers Sports and Gaming Bar just one more time. You can come down here uh, every eight, from 8 to 9 every Sunday to catch us live for Bloody, uh, <laughs> Bloody Mary's and Mimosa Specials. Also, for the Golden Knights game, you get dollar shots, and every time they score a goal, you get a free shot. Uh, my name is Spencer Ostrowski, a.k.a. Spencer the Wiz. I want to thank Chris Wynn and Chris Chapman back Nobody in the Fox Sports studio line. <laughs> I appreciate the theme music. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.